Habakkuk 1 through 13. This is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. Habakkuk's complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I am surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. The Lord's reply. The Lord replied, Look around at the nations. Look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their charioteers charge from far away like eagles. They swoop down to devour their prey. On they come, all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty, for their own strength is their God. Habakkuk's second complaint. O Lord my God, my Holy One, you who are eternal, surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent these Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins. But you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Should you be silent while the wicked swallow up people more righteous than they? Amen. The first thing we need to deal with as we begin the study of this book is how do we pronounce it? <laughs> how do we pronounce it? And Stuart, you did a great job in your pronunciation. I don't know if any of you have ever listened to Alistair Begg on Moody Radio. He's a, a preacher, and he, the way he says Habakkuk is, he says, I like to think of it as Habakkuk-y. So I say Habakkuk. He said, I don't like the way that it's said in America because Habakkuk, it doesn't have the same role on the tongue. Habakkuk cookie, that doesn't make sense. So honestly, I, I did lots of research and trying to figure out how to pronounce it, and you can pronounce it however it feels good to you because there is no Habakkuk, Habakkuk. Every preacher and every person pronounces it the way that is comfortable for them. So you pronounce it any way you like. So now that we got that out of the way, let's see. Who is Habakkuk? Who is he? We don't know much about him. We don't know much about his family. 
We don't even know what town he was from. In fact, Habakkuk is only mentioned in the book of his name. He's called one of the minor prophets. Not because the message he has is minor. Minor because his book is so short. Habakkuk, as a book, is 56 verses long, spread out over three chapters. But Habakkuk is unique from other prophets in another way as well. See, most prophets spend their time talking to people about God. But Habakkuk spends his time talking to God about people. These 56 verses describe an intensely personal struggle with God. Habakkuk is looking around at the things in the world, and they don't match up with the God who's supposed to be good, strong, and just. What Habakkuk knew about God was not fitting what he saw God doing, or better yet, what he saw God not doing in the world. And he wasn't afraid to question God. Habakkuk wanted to know, God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you seem fair? Every person, believer and unbeliever alike, come to a point of asking why life isn't fair. For unbelievers, it becomes the reason for their unbelief. How could a loving God allow such tragedy in the world? I cannot believe in a God that would do that. For believers, it too can be a stumbling block in our faith. We hear a story of a young mom of three who dies of cancer. Or the teen who was hit by a car on his way to school. Or what about the young woman whose rapist is walking free? Just this past week, we honored the one-year anniversary of the Marjorie Stoneham Douglas shooting where 17 people lost their lives in senseless tragedy. And like Habakkuk, we ask, why? Where are you, God? Where is your justice? God, if you care, why aren't you doing anything? Why does life seem so unfair? We may find ourselves crying out to God just like Habakkuk did. Oh, how long, oh Lord? How long must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere. But yet you come not to save us. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous, so that justice has become perverted. Sounds similar to what we live in today, doesn't it? You see, Habakkuk had three problems with God. First one was, God, you don't seem to care. With all the evil things taking place in the world, you must not care very much. The second thing he had 
with God was, God, I know you could do something. You are all-powerful. I believe you could do something, God. If I were in your shoes, I would do it. I don't know why you don't, God. You don't seem to really care. You know, you're starting to look bad, God. Before the people, you look bad. How am I going to defend you, God? How am I going to stand for you when you let these things happen? Because it looks like you don't care. And number three, what are you doing, God? It's not fair. Habakkuk is basically saying, God, if I were in your shoes, I would do things differently. God, why don't you do it this way? It's much more fair than what you're doing now. Let's be honest. How many of you have had these thoughts to say, God, I don't like the way you're doing this? Or to say, God, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Count me in that group. A lot of things don't make sense. But some of you have been taught that it's wrong to question God. Pastor, is it really appropriate to question God and his ways? After all, he's God. I had a person several years ago who told me it was a sin to question God because God is God. How dare we question him? I'll tell you, that is unscriptural. God welcomes our questions. Our questions are a significant part of our faith journey. Look at Psalms. A third of the Psalms are people crying out to God. What's going on, God? God, are you going to rescue me? God, are you going to leave me here forever? Read the book of Job. Read the book of Lamentations. These are godly people who are crying out to God. Have mercy, God. I thought I was doing everything right, but now what's going on? Sometimes we find ourselves in that same place. What do we do when we see that the things we see with our eyes, they don't match up with the God that we knew or believe in? That was Habakkuk's biggest challenge. What do we do when God doesn't make sense? What do we do when the chaos and confusion that we face in the world challenges what we know about God? At some point, every one of us has what's called a crisis of faith. As we walk with God, there will be a crisis of faith. Where something happens in your life and in your world that challenges everything that you've ever believed about God. Let's go back for a minute to the moment that you recognized and accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because there was a time before that where God had been softening your heart, revealing himself to you little by little. And then, boom, all of a sudden, your eyes were opened. 
You recognized who he was. You accepted him as Lord and Savior, and your life changed. Things were different. You felt different. You felt like you were on a spiritual high. You're praying, and God answers your prayers. You're having all these God coincidences. All your family and friends are saying, you're weird. What's wrong with you? You're changed. What happened? And you don't know how to even describe what's happening to you. But you like it. It feels good. And when you go to church, the message sounds like it was written just for you. Then you get in your car and your favorite song's on the radio. Wow. You go shopping, and there's a parking spot right up front waiting just for you. And you think, Jesus, this is, this is good. Me and you doing life together. This is good. But then, before long, you go to church The sermon doesn't quite speak to you. You get in the car, and the songs, you can't find one you like. Well, that's weird. What happened? You go to the mall, and you can't find a parking spot anywhere. Well, that's even weirder. And then you pray. And instead of God doing what you ask, the opposite thing happens. Weird. What's going on here? And then one day, someone you love gets sick and doesn't get better. Or someone you care about gets in an accident and things don't turn out the way you hoped. And that's when it happens. Crisis of belief. God, what's going on? Are you serious? I thought we were in this together, God. We were on this spiritual high doing life together, Jesus. You were doing all these great things for me. And I was trusting you. But now? God, based on what I see, it's different than what I thought. I'm not sure what to believe anymore, God. When this happens, we can go in one of two directions. One is we'll deny our reality. I want to go back where I was. I want to go back to that spiritual high. In other words, if the doctor says you're sick, I'm not sick. No, God wouldn't let me be sick. That wouldn't happen. God's going to heal me. I didn't really lose. I don't need, if I lost my job, I don't need a new job. God's going to find me one because that's what he does. One's just going to come. Denying reality paralyzes us in our walk of faith. But others, they get mad. Okay, God, 
I thought we were doing this together. I thought I knew you, and I thought you knew what to do. But you're not who I thought you were. So forget your way. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do it my way. If this is going to be how it's going to be, you're not going to do what I thought you were going to do. You're not going to make things right in my life. I'm going to do it my way. I'll do it right. Some of you may be thinking of someone in this place. For some of you, it might be you. Where something happened in your life and things changed. You got hurt. Someone did something terribly hurtful to you. Someone let you down. God didn't answer your prayer. And you say, you know what? Forget about this. And then you stay stuck in that dark valley. Crisis of belief. Paralyzed by doubt. Paralyzed by fear. What do we do when the chaos and the confusion we face in the world challenges what we know about God? See, God is waiting to take you on a journey of faith. It's not an easy road. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. The path of faith, if you're willing to walk it with God, even through the doubts, it will challenge you. But if you can say, God, I don't understand, but I'm willing to trust you. If you trust God, no matter what he does around you, if you can just hold tight to him, he will take your faith to a place of intimacy, a place of trust and security that you never dreamed possible. If we look at the people in Scripture, their stories are ones of struggles and doubt that resulted in intimacy with God. Look at Abraham. Look at Job. Look at David. Look at Jeremiah. Look at Peter. Every one of them faced doubts. Every one of them faced challenges in their faith. But they trusted God and they held on. Listen to how James wrote about it in his first chapter. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Say that again. Not lacking anything. You see, God may lovingly allow you to go through seasons of doubts and questionings, seasons with fears and insecurities and unanswered questions, because he's going to do something in that in you. He can't do it any other way. Many of you are familiar with my cancer struggle back I think it's 14 years now. It'll be 14 years in March. Now, the time of the diagnosis of the brain cancer, my oldest was 12. 
My youngest was four. That was life-altering. And I can remember one point, because I was supposed to be strong. I couldn't let anyone else see me scared or cry. Or So I got in the shower, because I can cry there and no one would know. And even if I came out with my eyes all red, so it was a hot water, you know. And I spent a long time in that shower questioning God. God, I don't understand. I have four young kids. I don't get it. What's going on? I can stand before you today, and I can tell you that I could not stand up here and do this if he did not bring me to my knees with the cancer that I had 14 years ago. Everything that you go through has a divine purpose. He will never let it just happen. There's a purpose in it that you may not understand yet, but he does. And he will use it for his glory. Sorry. Through your challenges, through your doubts, God is strengthening your belief in his ultimate control of all things. Even when you don't understand. God had to take me through a journey of shaking me. Shaking me to my core before he could make my foundation stronger. And then use me to serve him. Some of you may find yourself right there. You're in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. You're in the middle of chapter 1 trying to decide what to do. A lot of people walk away in chapter 1. See, we need chapter 1 to set the foundation of our walk with Jesus. Chapter 1 is all about wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing, God? That's where Habakkuk is. God, what are you doing? I don't understand. Listen closely, because God's about to answer him. You know that saying, be careful what you ask for? This would be one of those moments. The Lord replies to him, look around at the nations, look and be amazed, for I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. God is telling Habakkuk, you're not going to believe this. You'll be so astonished, you'll be so amazed. <clears throat> You're going to say, God, are you serious? You'll be knocked off your feet in amazement. I am raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. What? God, are you serious? You're raising up a cruel and violent people? Look at how God, look how God describes them. Notorious for their cruelty. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs. They're fiercer than wolves. At dusk, they are bent on violence. And this is from the mouth of God. He knows they're bad. Everybody knows they're bad. God's plan is to bring in the Babylonians to crush the people of Judah. 
I don't understand, Lord. This makes no sense. So what do we do when the chaos and the confusion we face in the world challenges what we know about God? What do you do when you're in chapter 1 and like Habakkuk, you aren't sure what to believe? You want to believe, but you have so many questions. Is it really okay to bring my questions to God? Can we be people of faith and still ask God to help us believe? Is it possible? I'm not a sinner if I ask God questions, am I? In Mark chapter 9, we find our answer. In Mark chapter 9, we meet a father whose son is possessed by a demon spirit. And this spirit was messing up with the boy's life. And when the father sees Jesus, this is what he says to him. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus responds, what do you mean if I can? Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. So the father instantly cries out, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I can imagine this father thinking, you see, Jesus, there was this time when I really did believe. But my son has been hurting, and I've been praying for a long time. And I've prayed and fasted and prayed. I took him to every doctor. I've been doing everything that the word tells me to do. And I've been believing. But right now, God, Jesus, it's not easy. I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. In Jesus' response, you can imagine him saying a similar thing to what God told Habakkuk. I'm going to do something amazing that you're not going to believe. And it's going to be so amazing that you will never doubt that way again. But you would never have gotten to this place unless I'd taken you through this crisis of belief. That is exactly what God and Habakkuk are wrestling with. In verses 12 through 14, we see that Habakkuk has simultaneous faith and questions. Oh, Lord, my God, you who are eternal, my God, my Holy One. And he says, Surely you don't plan to wipe us out. It's a statement of faith. He knows who God is. Then he questions again. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to correct us, to punish us for our sins and execute judgment. And then he gives another statement of faith. Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. You can't tolerate wrong, God. And then another question. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous? Habakkuk is saying, God, I believe. 
But this is hard. This is difficult. Some of you today, that is right where you are. You're in chapter 1. But I've got bad news for you. Chapter 2 is even worse. That's not much better. See, in chapter 1, we're left wondering. In chapter 2, we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Ah, but chapter 3, if you continue to stick with God and hold on tight, you'll come to a point, no matter what you see around you, you're going to worship him. Not because of what you see with your eyes, but because of who you know him to be. No matter what goes on around you, you will worship him because of his character and because of his nature. So if you find yourself in chapter 1, like Habakkuk, wondering what you believe in contrast to what you see, just do what Habakkuk did. Embrace God. You may wrestle with him, but no matter what is going on around you, you hold on tight. You wrestle back and forth, and you may, not, you may say, God, I don't understand. But embrace him. Don't let go. Because no matter what happens, no matter what you're going through, God will never let go of you. Embrace him. Remind yourself like Habakkuk did who God is. Habakkuk looked around and saw trouble. He knew what his problems were. But he needed to look at them through the lens of who God was. Some of you might be saying, you know, I had a lot of faith once, but I'm not so sure. I'm not sure anymore because you know what, Pastor? God isn't fair. You're right. God isn't fair. The most beautiful thing about God is that he isn't fair. But he is absolutely and completely just. But he is not fair. Every one of us is born with a sin nature, separated from God. And we already said that God was just. And so he must punish sin. But if God was fair, he would have every one of us pay our own debt. But because God is just and not fair... He pays the penalty for your sin. There is nothing fair about the Son of God, Jesus, the perfect, blameless, spotless Lamb of God, shedding his blood on the cross for us. That is not fair. So don't, anytime you face a challenge in your life and you say, this isn't fair, you're right because our God's not fair. Thank God he's not fair. The just and merciful God calls out to every one of us to trust in him. Put our faith in him and we shall have eternal life. And when you accept his invitation to be Lord and Savior, when you accept his gift of salvation, your name is written in heaven's book of life. Now tell me about fair. 
And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't mean your life is going to be full of blessings. That doesn't mean, oh, I found Jesus. That means I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to get a bigger house. No. Your life will not necessarily be full of blessing. That's not what Jesus does. That's not what he's about. What it means is that your life counts for the glory of God. And it means that you will have his divine purpose on earth. It means that instead of focusing on the what of our confusion and our chaos, we'll look to who holds it all together. In our God, where are you seasons? In our God, I believe you, but help my unbelief moments. We will see that Jesus is always there. It is Jesus who's the answer. Jesus is the Lord of history. He is the God of every detail and every circumstance that you are facing today. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that has happened or will happen in this world or in your life that God didn't know about. He is never surprised, never bewildered or confused by what's going on around us. He knew it before it happened. So what do we do when the chaos and the confusion we face in the world challenges what we know about God? We do what Habakkuk did. We bring our questions to God. We bring them to the one who is unchanging and never-ending. Our refuge and our protection and our storms. We embrace the God who is love, who is mercy, who is grace and sovereign, all-knowing and all-powerful. And we trust in him as Habakkuk did, even when it doesn't seem fair. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the testimony of Habakkuk who didn't run away from you, Lord, but ran to you with all his questions. He found solace and peace in who you were, God. May that be an example for every one of us. Lord, I ask you to reveal yourself to those that are still stuck in chapter 1. Help them turn the page, Father. They get to chapter 2 and chapter 3. Father, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you yet, please continue to reveal yourself to them. Soften their heart. Open their eyes that they see Jesus. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.